Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, it is a privilege to be here. Uh, Pastor Dustin and I met in seminary and became friends, and so it's a privilege to have him occasionally ask me to fill in when he needs to go traveling or, you know, do those other sort of life things. Uh, we're going to focus our attention in 1 John chapter 1 today, uh, talking about living in the light. I'm going to be preaching out of the NLT translation. Uh, I find it really helpful for um, readability and a little more common sense understanding than some of the different translations, but whichever translation you've got, we'll all be roughly on the same page. Uh, so we'll read that and then uh, we will pray together and dive into the word. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm a Grant County native. Don't hold it against me. I grew up in Swayze, graduated from Oak Hill. Okay. Uh, however, when I married my wife at the tender age of 19, we lived in Gas City for the first like decade of our marriage. So I've got a little bit of Gas City cred, okay? And my daughter and son-in-law live in that same house now. So we're, we're still over and around. We did the golf cart thing for a while. You know, we're I'm Gas City, just a little. I'm Gas City. Uh, and I went to Indian Wesleyan and Wesley Seminary, uh, again, where I met Pastor Dustin. I have been in a variety of churches, a few churches, over my 17 years in youth ministry and ministry. And now uh, my wife and I are working on uh, creating house churches. Uh, do you know, in the Grant County community, on any given Sunday... Uh, roughly two-thirds of our population claim no faith affiliation whatsoever and go to no services, despite the fact that we have an exceedingly high concentration of churches. So what is one more church going to do? I'm not exactly sure, but what I hope it will do is provide... There, there are some people that actually, like, this sort of setting might be a little bit intimidating for them, or maybe they had prior experience with church, and a variety of things could have happened, but at this point in their lives, it's just not... For them, it's scary, it's hurtful, it brings up memories that maybe they've not been able to get healed. Uh, and so maybe it's a little bit less intimidating to come sit around my dinner table and share a meal together. Uh, and then as we share and discuss, dive into some scripture and, and take communion together. So we do that. It's called Commoner's House Church. That meets on Sunday evenings usually, uh, except for days like today where Everyone has plans in the evening. Not everyone, most everyone. Uh, but we, we do that, and it's, it's been a real blessing. We've had a number of people come and go, whether from moving out for jobs, or we've had three different people come through that were discerning some sort of call to ministry, and now they're actively in positions in churches, and it's been really cool to see. So we've been doing that for a couple of years since the pandemic started, uh, which means I'm able to come do things like this. So uh, that's a little bit about me, uh, sort of what I'm doing ministry-wise, uh, we have a wife. I have a wife. We have a uh, almost 16-year-old son. He'll be 16 in two weeks. Starts his first job at McDonald's tomorrow. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, he he really thought that one of the perks was going to be a free McFlurry every shift. That is not the case. <laughs> Plus, you know, the ice cream's almost always broken. So, <laughs> just kidding, McDonald's. Love you. Uh, so. Uh, that's him. And then my daughter and son-in-law, again, live here. 
he is becoming a nurse. He'd been a supervisor at Dollar General Distribution Center. She is a nurse. However, they're also brand new parents. I'm a grandpa. Uh, three weeks ago, Jax Horn was born. And so Jax Lewis is my little guy. Uh, and so that's been wonderful as well. So that's me. Do you feel enough that maybe we're connected and now we can dive into a message and feel like it's not just some random weird guy who walked in here and was given a microphone? Yeah? All right. First John 1. We'll go ahead and read and then we'll pray for the Lord's illumination over this text. First John chapter 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in worship today, and thank you that you are with us, that there is nowhere we can run that you are not already. We thank you, Lord, that as we gather together, there is light in this room, there is light in our lives, there is light in our community. Wherever there are people pursuing truth, wherever there are people helping and doing generous things, wherever there are people uh, revealing light, they're doing your work. And thank you for each of these who are gathered here with us in person and those who are online, that we are attempting to come closer to your light so that we can reflect and share that light back into the community this week. Lord, would you please illuminate this passage to us in our hearts and minds, not just for us, but for those we will come into contact with, and that by it, Lord, we may know you better, that that fellowship that we share with the apostles of old and therefore with you would be improved, would be radiant, would be something that grows and glows so that we may be light bearers in this community. And as we gather today, Lord, may we experience a greater fulfillment of joy in our lives. And finally, may we, Lord, have your light reveal 
any more bits of darkness that are in us, any more planks in our own eyes that we may have been ignoring, any more things that perhaps we thought we had rooted out but are still there even in smaller form so that we may purify and again become more light-filled, more close, more pure in your desire and your eyes so that we can help others find your love and your light as well. In your name we pray. The church said, amen. Amen. Let's be just a little bit interactive, if that's okay. Are you guys okay with a little? There we go. All right, I got one sure. That counts for all of you. Okay. What gives you joy? Yeah, family. That was over Family gives us joy. Is that a whole row of family? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Wonderful. What gives you joy? Oh, yeah. Except for bee stings, but generally nature. I like their honey, but, you know. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that fills me better than, than a good old nature walk, whether it's a full-on hike or just heading to the park and walking along the Burbly River. Love it. What gives you joy? Yeah, sunshine. Not the oppressive sunshine from last week. But maybe that's just me and everyone else thought it was lovely. I was out at Fairmount Teen Camp where we have minimal amounts of air conditioning and so it felt like a lot. But generally sunshine, yes. Christmas or Christians? Uh, Christmas and Easter, yes, yes. Not just the Hallmark version of the holidays or the store-bought, you know, it's not even Halloween yet and there's already Christmas decorations out version of the holidays but the birth of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of him to eternal life, proving our faith true and becoming the foundation of our joy. Absolutely. Great joy givers. What are some other things that give you joy? Well, hopefully that'll happen today. Yes. Yeah, Pastor Dustin, absolutely. Seeing a minister really preaching the word. None of that like pop psychology stuff. None of the bumper sticker kind of stuff. We like the occasional joke, but we want some solid meat and potatoes preaching of the word. Yes, that's a joy giver. And there was another one that came over here somewhere. Miracles. Oh, I love miracles. Those ones that we so obviously know there's no way that happened but for God. And then those others that are also... There are some that we, we sometimes forget, like when someone has been in the hospital and been in treatment for six months and they come out healed, that's still a miracle too. Medicine and science and miracles in all their forms. I love miracles. Uh, my, uh, my grandpa would say, my feet are on the floor. That's a miracle. I don't know if I always agree with that. Sometimes it feels like a drudge, but generally, if I'm breathing... If I'm, uh, as my nurse wife says, if I'm upright and ambulatory, that's a miracle. Miracles are great. Miracles are great. Last week at church camp, we had a number of children have, uh, it was teens, junior and senior high. We had a number. Were you guys there? Yes. You don't have to say it in front of everybody. Did you have a great week? Yeah, we had so many students like at the altar and worshiping and testimonies about life change, kids finding hope. Oh, miraculous. It was great. What are some other things that give you joy? Making others happy. Yes. And I'm sure that the recipients appreciate it as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Babies, obviously babies. Am I, am I peeking too hard into the audio feed? I don't want to hurt anyone's eardrums at home. Great. Babies, yes. Oh, just precious bundles of joy. Uh, and I've been in some churches where they're very like, hmm, upright and stodgy and, you know, that baby's making too much noise. It goes to the nursery and, you know, no coffee in the sanctuary and, you know, that sort of thing. Which, If you don't, that's okay. But I see one. We're good. Um, and, and so, you know, I've been in churches like that. And then I've been in churches that are clear the other direction. Like, if I hear a baby, that's sounds of life. And I don't care if it affects the audio feed. Because the baby is a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, great. What are some other things that give you joy? Oh, music. Oh, I thought you were going to say like rap. Okay. Organ music. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you had like a live organ player. That's hard to find in a lot of churches these days. And also that you have a fancy computer that can do it too. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, organ and piano live. live. I grew up in uh, Maple Run Friends Church, uh, a sanctuary similar, a little less stained glass because we were Quakers. But we had a piano and organ every week. Um, and we had uh, our organist, her, she was lovely. She was a, a wonderful saint. But we were children. We didn't know better. We called her Grandma Mittens because it sounded like she was playing like this. <laughs> but, but the organ music is something that I've grown to treasure now, especially now that I don't hear it as often. Yeah, absolutely. Other joy-giving things? The love of Jesus Christ, and without which, how would we live? I truly, I attempt to sympathize, I attempt to understand, but truly, I don't know how some people do it, because life is so hard, but for Jesus, but for the grace of God, go I. Yeah, the love of Jesus. Here, I was expecting simple things like Reese cups, or, you know. <laughs> You guys went deep. We're ready. We are primed and ready to go. Let's, let's dive in. Okay, another question, and maybe not quite a, such an optimistic question. What steals your joy? Lies. Absolutely. Of any kind, big or small, something dies a little when I hear a lie. Yeah. What steals your joy? Disappointments. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, disappointments are hard. And on some, those can be big and grand or, you know, very little situations. We were out of cookies or, you know, my best friend, you know, got sick or whatever. You know, disappointments are difficult. Negative people, get out of here with that negative t negativity. Life's too short. Yeah. And it's so contagious, too. It, it just, it spreads like coronavirus. It spreads everywhere and just brings us down. I don't like negativity. Don't like negativity. Although, I, I have trouble sometimes noticing when I'm the negative one. <laughs> and that's scary, too. Then I get disappointed in myself. And <laughs> there was, oh, especially tragedy involving children. Tragedy in general, but especially when children are involved, it is just so exceptionally difficult. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Other joy stealers? Illnesses, pain. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Whether they're acute and quick things or whether they're long-term things, illnesses and pain can just become so hard to cope with and let alone like keep a positive attitude. I'm just trying to stay alive, man. It can be really hard. Those, those can be joy stealers. Which makes me so thankful for so many of those saints who do have chronic conditions or are facing, um, you know, some big drastic like cancer or something like that. And then they walk through it with almost like a, a peaceful confidence or a joy, you know, in Jesus, I guess. But like, man, I, I hope if I get something like that, that, that I can follow that kind of example so that I don't steal other people's joy in my negativity about my illness or pain. That's a hard thing. Other joy stealers. Man, gas prices, economics in general. It, it can be so hard. I used to be able to buy this much at the grocery store, and now I spend the same amount and get this much, but I've got a teenager at home. I need that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. When, when, when prices are not feeling reasonable. And that's just true because that spawns so many regular life concerns, right? And when the equilibrium feels upset, when I feel like I'm struggling more or having to strain more, uh, it, it just spawns a whole host of negative thoughts. One of the things that I find in this first John passage, we're about to kind of slow walk through it just a little. I think that we've got a recipe for joy here. And perhaps even uh, a bulwark, a defense against, even perhaps an immunity against having our joy stolen. So as we walk through this, uh, I want to see if you find some of the same kind of hope that I have today. So it, it starts, those first four verses are, those could be pulled out as a poem. Not in English, but in the original Greek, they're quite poetic. English is not a great translation for ancient dead languages to come alive. Uh, we have a way of really tamping down the meter and the rhyme and that sort of thing. However, those first four, four verses were a poem or a song that would have been used in the early church. And with that poetic language, John uses some really intriguing Greek here that I'm not going to bog you down with the details of, but he keeps it sort of vague. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. And of course, on this side of it, 2,000 years later, we know he's talking about God and therefore Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We, we know what he's, who he's talking about, but for him to sort of dress it up in a little bit of this vagueness, but that's what poems can do. They evoke images and ideas that maybe we wouldn't have had on our own. Whom we have heard and seen. And he's not naming anyone yet. We're, we're to be thinking of Jesus, proclaiming him as the eternal one, but whom we also got to hear and see. And then he even says, uh, touched him with our own hands. Because Jesus was not a figment of, of imagination. Jesus was not a made-up character such as Hercules or other people in the ancient world. Uh, Jesus was not a storybook figure. Jesus was a man who also had existed from the beginning. This God in human flesh. He is the word of life. 
And then again, the one who is life itself was revealed to us. And so we have these claims now about Jesus that he's not just God in human flesh, someone both tangible and eternal, but also someone who in him lives life itself. Whatever the concept of life, bios, breath, energy, vitality, blood flowing through our veins, but something deeper. When he says life here, it's tied up in a a Greek concept of like your spirit coming alive. Jesus had that. Jesus embodied that. Jesus was that with skin on. Jesus was life itself, the word of life itself. And then that's supposed to evoke, especially for Jewish readers, uh, where have words been powerful in scripture? Oh, many places going clear back to creation Words have been powerful because God spoke things into being. Let there be light. And so that God, that existing, pre-existing eternal God, with all the quality of humanity that can also be seen and touched and and visibly uh, with us, is someone that also contains the power of word of life itself. With the Father then revealed to us, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship. And there is a key term that I think is going to be one of the main ingredients in our joy and in not getting it stolen. Fellowship with us. And so for John and the early apostles, fellowship was, was not just a potluck dinner, though that's one of my favorite aspects of fellowship. Fellowship for them was an entire way of thinking, a mindset of shared life together in which I was no longer myself, but I now belong to you and you belong to me and we together are a community supporting one another, encouraging one another, also helping call out perhaps an accountability when there's a plank in my eye that I'm just not noticing. Things like that. Fellowship for them was sort of a, a whole life concept for how we could be together. And so by Jesus being revealed in all of these amazing ways, John is claiming that they had fellowship with God. And if we would learn if we would discover, if we would live into, if we would believe in this eternal one, we would not only have fellowship with the apostles, but with them and perhaps through them all the way to united fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so we are being invited into a community that is going clear back to the moment John penned these words, technically to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in a community of fellowship, Hebrews 13 would say this great cloud of witnesses, this community of believers, both living and dead, that we're invited into that fellowship if we believe in this God, man, Jesus Christ. And he finally names him right there at the end of verse 3. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our, again, fellowship with that entire community of apostles and all the people they're ministering to all across the Mediterranean world and beyond. You may share our joy. And so one of the key ingredients to joy is going to be fellowship, but not just potlucks, this deeper 
communal life sort of fellowship in which we belong to one another through our love and our relationship and we team together to help raise each other's children in which we helped each other when someone was struggling or a house got torn down or things were going crazy at life, the person knew they were not alone. They were not going to have to struggle because we, the body of believers, said, friend, sister, brother, here we are. What do you need? We've got you. It was that kind of fellowship. Okay? That kind of fellowship is going to be one of the key ingredients to fully share joy. And this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. And so if we're going to have fellowship with the apostles and Jesus, we must also receive the teaching that they received. So Jesus gave this to John and the other disciples, uh, the other apostles, and then they are passing it to us. We see this happen uh, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and even though they're speaking their own native tongue, they go out and the people from all over the known world that were gathering in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks uh, with all the different languages and ethnicities and things that were present, the apostles were speaking their one language and everyone is hearing in their own language. And from that moment forward, wherever the apostles went to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, new believers are being made and that message is getting shared. And so now John is attempting to encourage not just Christians, but also people who are struggling to stay on the path of spiritual truth, who are struggling to stay on the path of Christ-likeness that we were called to. When Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that was not a mere suggestion. That was a requirement, and obviously it's hard because life and self-will and, you know, all the sinful temptations that drag us down. And John's saying, hold on, let me just tell you the message again, and maybe this will help keep you in our healthy community. Here's the message. God is light, and in them there is no darkness at all. And we could go clear back to the gospel of John, and John loves a few main uh, metaphors or images for God. Darkness and light are two of the prime ones. Water is another. Uh, he does talk a little bit about planting uh, in life, um, but that one was maybe more half of a metaphor for John versus darkness, light, and water. And for John then, in the, in the language of John, the author here, darkness is sin. Darkness is compromising our integrity, our faith in Christ, uh, because if we truly, for John, truly believed, if we were truly walking in the light, I would be so transformed and transfixed on the person of Jesus Christ that by my belief, I would not only say I believe, but I would then let Jesus change everything about me from the inside out so that I would be, in essence, a child of light. I would be marked as one of God's children and not only letting God mark me, but saying, God, I mark you. I want no one but you. And I would change all of how I live and do my life to reflect the glory of God. So darkness for John is compromising that image of following God. Darkness is anything that pulls us down from that holy standard. Light is walking in the footsteps of God. 
So God is light. God is purity. God is sinlessness. God is uh, the glorious one who is created, who sustains, who redeems, who saw that we, though we were in our sin and, you know, the entire story of the Old Testament is like one weird cycle downwards after another. It's like, it's like drawing a tornado of humanity and it just goes down and down and down and down. And God's like, all right, I have given you ample opportunity. I've given you methods. I've given you an entire temple system, but humanity You just can't. So I shall do for you. Jesus enters the scene. And so God is so full of light that he then became for us the wholeness, the purity, the holiness that we could not be in and of ourselves pursuing God. God does that. And it is part of God's nature then that God both created us And though we sinned, we created the problem, God also provides the solution to the problem in Jesus and provides that reconnection to God and that path to eternal life. That is the light of God. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. And again, spiritual darkness is not just some list of the top 20 frequent sins. Darkness for John is deviating from that path of being a child of light. Darkness is deviating from walking in the footsteps of Jesus, which is a much harder thing to do. John, could we please just have a list? Because it's easier to check boxes and make sure when I go through my review at the end of the day, uh, not this, not this, not this. Hey, I get a gold star today. That would be so much easier, right? But think back to our things that give us joy and our things that steal our joy. A lot of those, a lot of those terms are sort of amorphous, blob-like terms. Negativity. What is negativity? Well, there are some things that I'm going to... It was a fantastic suggestion, and I agree. But there's going to be some things that I think are very negative today that maybe according to my mood or when my last snack or nap was, I might not think are as negative tomorrow. And a lot of those terms that we mentioned that give and steal our joy are sort of amorphous, that that are subject to interpretation, not just within my own mindset, but from person to person or family to family, or according to stage of life. How many of you are or have raised teenagers? How many of you uh, remember being teenagers? And how many times must there have been a conversation about tone or attitude? It's not what you did, it's how you said it. Oh no, that really struck a nerve. That, and the, those who are sitting with their family members are like, don't look at me, mom, dad. Because it's an amorphous sort of thing. I didn't get in trouble for it here because I guess I said it the right way, but I said the exact same words, but now I'm in trouble for it because it felt different, question mark? And so a lot of these amorphous things, uh, this is why John does not give us a strict list because life is full of gray area. And within that gray area, we must look almost as though we're on a light spectrum. We must continually look for where is the light or the lighter side of this situation and walk towards the godly side of this situation? What is the light in this moment? Where is God in this moment? How can I be faithful to God in this moment? 
So sorry, John did not give us the list. We did not get a top 20 to-do and not-to-do list, though that would have been easier. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are lying if we continue deviating from the footsteps of Jesus, from the path that God laid out before us, from that sort of Sermon on the Mount ethic, that that weird upside-down economy of justice in the kingdom in which the first shall be last and the last shall be first and that whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me, and that loving our neighbor is how we prove that we actually love God. Jesus, can I please pretty please have a list because that all sounds really hard and gray area and amorphous. But if I can attempt in every situation, in every day, in every example of my life to look for where Christ is for the light in said situation and walk towards the light and preferably in the light, I am then avoiding darkness because I'm not intentionally deviating from God's desire for us, from God's light. Darkness is deviation. Sometimes intentional and willful, sometimes accidental, but hopefully less and less frequent as time goes on. But if we do go on living in spiritual darkness, if we do go on deviating from God's desired path for his children, We are not practicing the truth. Not practicing the truth. That is a lie. Uh, Lying um, by thinking we're doing good when in fact we're doing our own preferential thing. Thinking that my own preferential thing is actually godly just because I'm rubber stamping my idea of God on it when in fact God's holy standard was something completely different but I wanted what I wanted and I wanted it now. And how much more difficult is sin to notice when it looks like my desire instead? So if we continue living in spiritual darkness, we're not practicing the truth, we're lying to ourselves. And if we are in some level of fellowship with the body of believers, both now and forever, I'm lying to my community as well. Because I'm saying one thing and doing another. I'm attempting to look godly or appear godly without having a true and vital essence of godliness motivating my actions. And so saying one thing and doing another has always been an easy path to failure because either you get caught or you crash and burn in trying to prop up all the different lies and fellowship gets broken, mistrust, disappointment, negativity, joy stolen, not because I wanted to manufacture joy, joy stolen not because I simply wanted to do my own thing, joy stolen because I did not desire God's light as my prime and motivating factor. And it comes out in a variety of forms. So those things that we struggle with uh, behaviorally, these could be big and grand, terrible sins that you know break communities, or these could be things that I think are just for me. Did I need that extra uh, little Debbie? Uh, did I need that extra Twinkie? 
No, I did not. But I did, and now I feel sick, and I can't go do the outing with my son. I have broken fellowship with my son because I ate that extra snack like a just a, a secret little munster. It was not necessary, but I broke fellowship in that moment. And it's a very small thing, and I can apologize and say, hell, give me like 20 minutes to like set this one off, and then we'll go do it. And fellowship is restored, and it's a little thing. But for that moment, I had something to make up. I had something to repair or apologize for or be forgiven for because I pursued my own impulse rather than what God would have desired, which was just go out with my son in the first place and don't worry about an extra snack when no one's looking. And some of you are like, sometimes I need that extra Twinkie. I'm not saying you can't. Just make sure you play with your son. No. I could have walked in the light. And so this can happen in both grandiose ways, adultery, embezzlement, you know, big and gross things or very little things that no one notices. But for that moment, the fellowship was broken and has to be brought back into the light. So if we go on living in spiritual darkness, we're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us cleanses us from all sin. Now, this is, this is a key, like, John Wesley sanctification passage. That if we together, each of us are pursuing God and attempting to walk in the light, and we together are helping hold one another up in community and pursue Christ together, pursue that light of God together, the blood of Jesus was never fully individual. It was always communal and individual. It is both for me and for us. And if we together are walking in the light, his son, the blood from his son cleanses us. Us from all sins. Not me from all sins. Us from all sins. Because my holiness is impossible in isolation. My holiness requires sisters and brothers in the faith to walk in fellowship and community with who can let me know when I've got a pocket of darkness that I'm not paying attention to in which I can share with them in accountability. Maybe there's something. Or when we undertake big things together, whether it's you know 40-day fasts or prayer journeys or different things that we can do, we together are pursuing God and we together are cleansed from all sin. And what an incredible thought cleansed from all sin, sanctification, what would it be like to no longer have the first responsive impulse be my own way? No, 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 I got to talk myself out of my own way, and then this is what God would like. I'll do that, I guess, if I have to. What if my first impulse was, I think this is the right thing to do. God, yes. Okay, let's do it. That would take off so much pressure. And joy stealing because I don't have to wrestle with my own motivations anymore. And we don't have to wrestle with our own motivations anymore. But instead, we together are pursuing the light of God and are cleansed from all sin. But if we claim we have no sin, and this is that double-edged sort of sanctification. I've got so many... Uh, reminders of, of sermons or messages from growing up or uh, even in college in which entire sanctification was preached as, and now I'm unable to sin. I mean, maybe, but you're still a human. And, and it says we're lying and we shouldn't do that. It says we're fooling ourselves. What we should say is I am so in love with God that I don't want to sin. Therefore, I generally don't sin, but I'm still human and still able to be tempted. Entire sanctification 
entire sanctification uh, then helps us live in the truth. Not something for me and not some special finish line. Ha, I'm entirely sanctified. Look at me. I got a badge and a sash and now go for me. But we together are entirely sanctified and we together do not want to participate in sin. And this does not mean that we cast out someone who is, uh, although maybe there are occasional harmful things that that bar must be set. Generally, it means when one of us stumbles, Ephesians, when one of us uh, rejoices, we all rejoice with them. And when one of us is grieving, we all grieve together. When one of us stumbles, we all stumble because maybe there was some act of discipleship or accountability that we could have given this person to prevent their stumbling. And when they did stumble, maybe they do need some Christ-like sharp rebuke. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. But they also need the surrounding love of the community to say, but we love you and we'll try to help you not do it again and expect better of you because Christ loves you and is in you. And so if I claim I have no sin, I'm fooling myself and not living in the truth. But if we, not me, we, if we confess our sins, not just I, we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Again, no longer desiring my own impulse, but what God wants. And so if we are looking for joy, joy, I think, comes first and foremost from fellowship, godly community. That fellowship is with God and with others in God. Together, we walk in the light, which is God. God is the light. He said at the beginning of this passage in that poem, We walk together in the light. We walk in God's presence. And also, God fills us with light that we can reflect that love as well. And so as we walk in the light by God together, our fellowship helps reveal any hidden darkness that is in us or in the community as a whole. That fellowship reveals the darkness inside us, both by God and by godly accountability. And I am honest in that community When I walk in the light, I am dishonest when I say I'm walking in the light, but I'm following my own impulses instead. Therefore, in the light, there's no room for deception or darkness because we together in the light are helping root out all the darkness, becoming a light-filled fellowship. And because we are fellowshipping well and full of light, rooting out negativity, rooting out dishonesty, rooting out disappointment, rooting out selfishness. We're rooting out these things as we walk in the light together as a light-filled fellowship that joy is the fruit that overflows from this light-filled fellowship. Both fellowship with God, I've got a personal spiritual journey, and with each other in God. We together have a corporate spiritual journey. And as we walk with God in God, we find deeper and deeper joy because darkness no longer gets to drag us down, cause us to second-guess ourselves, dislike ourselves, be upset with ourselves or our community. And there's no room for the community to have to be upset or distrustful of me because we together are fellowshipping one holy, godly community walking in the light. Final little piece to this, though. How do you know what God wants you to do with your life? How do you know what God wants you to do this week or this day or this hour? 
Generally, we call this hearing from God, which can happen in a variety of ways. But ultimately, how do I know what God wants of me? It's a step of faith, A. But I can be pretty sure what God wants of me as I continue trying to walk each next step in God's direction. If there are multiple options on the table and a few of them are blatantly not godly, don't do that thing. How many of you like the, uh, the NBC show The Office or a guy named Dwight Schrute? I ask myself, would an idiot do that thing? And I do not do that thing. You know, it's kind of like that, but for spirit and sin. If that would take me away from God, if this choice or this action or this opportunity would take me away from God, don't do the thing. Don't do the thing because that's going to be a step away from God. And if God is light, a step away from God is a step towards darkness. We shouldn't just avoid darkness. Let us pursue what is above, what is ahead. That is light. And so if we want to find true fellowship with God and each other, how do we know what God wants of us? You don't have to know the specifics. By faith, you just take each next step in the right direction towards God might be difficult, it might be challenging, but we're in this together, pursuing God together. And as we take each next step in the right direction, we find joy because no longer is the darkness tripping us up. I've been a Bible teacher for a few years, and so I always like to do this at the end of my sermons. Are there any things that I made more confusing or any questions that you have that we can work through before we pray and wrap up our sermon time together? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. How long have you been a believer? Okay, young people and long-time believers, I want you to hear this. We can be believers since childhood and still wonder, what does God want from me? What does God want me to do? That's an okay question to ask. And in fact, if we stop asking that question, we're probably on the way towards the valley of shadow of death. How do I know what God wants me to do is the question. By faith. Okay, thanks, Jeff. That was super practical. <laughs> by faith. Uh, there are generally options. Sometimes there are specific options. Maybe it's like multiple job opportunities. Or sometimes life is to choose your own adventure. I could go do this or could go do that. What does God want me to do? Am I in a community that I can ask about this? or that can help me discern this question, do any of these options line up with Scripture or contradict Scripture? I should only be evaluating the ones that uh, line up with Scripture and that those in my community, this is why accountability and personal relationships with each other and godly light are important. Who are those couple of really wise people that I can go say, hey, 
uh, could we grab a cup of coffee and talk about this? Or whatever your preferred, I don't know, tea or something. Uh, could we talk about this thing? I've got these couple of options ahead of me and I'm not sure what. So first, does my fellowship have any wisdom? Does it line up with scripture? And as I pray, I may not hear from God, Jeffrey, do this. Man, I wish we could. But in the same way that John didn't give us 20 things to do and not do for faith, I don't often hear from God. I often get intuitions and I look for confirmations in scripture and with godly people. Um, and those sort of intuitions, I generally say that's how I hear from God, but it's not hearing. Does that make sense? Or sometimes a snatch of scripture or a lyric from a song that has been inspirational. These things can all be markers. So I'm in godly community. I've got at least a couple people that I can ask about this. I'm evaluating whether or not it lines up with scripture. And I don't just mean looking for, uh, oh, this one verse says that that person did that thing. Yeah, well, that person could have been a monster. Make sure it lines up with multiple verses in scripture. Fellowship, scripture, and is God giving me peace about a couple of these options? Maybe through that process, one clear-cut thing comes out, although it's rarely so simple. Sometimes God gives us five approved paths forward, but he's also given us free will and says, my child, choose one. They're all going to work. Pick one. And of course, all four of those steps are predicated on, are you, or in this case, uh, your, your daughter, are we actively in relationship with God in the first place in a fellowship of believers? Because that's going to be a huge barrier. I can't know what God wants for me if I don't do the things that God desires me to do to hear from God together. If I can't get mature in faith because I refuse to be part of a discipling community, it's going to be hard for me to hear from God because I'm sort of intentionally tuning God out. So how do we know what God's next step is? By faith, which means... Godly influence, lining up with scripture, uh, some sort of peace uh, from God about certain options, and sometimes I just need to pick one. And even as I get into it, I may find a lot of pushback or resistance spiritually. Is that Satan testing me to get me to stop doing what God wants me to do? Or is that, is that uh, Satan, I've chosen the wrong thing, and Satan is attempting to drag me down? Again, spiritual discernment that I'm often too close, can't see the forest for the trees. I'm often too close to the situation, need to ask my godly community for a little help with. So rarely is it, rub the magic genie, I'd like this, poof, there you go. I wish, but it's not. Um, and so that would be the thing. And as I say those steps, how many of you recognize steps like that working in your life as you have found godly direction or made our own choices and maybe found ungodly direction for not following these steps. So it's a process, it's by faith, but it's not impossible, okay? Does that help? Does that work? Great. Are there any more confusions or questions? Church, it's been a privilege to be with you today and to be invited by Pastor Dustin to share the word. Um, we, the apostles of old, Christians the world over, and we have seen and heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we fellowship with one another, as we take communion, we have even touched 
the hem of his robe, as it were. And may that connection with Christ be the guidance and inspiration to continue walking each next step in God's direction of light. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share together this morning and to dive into 1 John and look at what can give us joy. Obviously you, but that's a Sunday school answer. Thank you for giving us the intuition and the ability to go deeper. Thank you for giving us the desire to push past easy answers. And maybe it feels a little more gray or a little more difficult, but ultimately you are also clearing it up and giving us light. Thank you for that today, and thank you for this wonderful and loving congregation set here in a perfect location in Gas City to reach out to a community that needs you. I pray for your light over and in each and every one who is here today, that they would sense your peace and your direction, but also that they would sense your inspiration, that as they simply go about their lives this week, they would notice different people you've put in their path, different opportunities you've put in their path to reflect your light well, not darkness, but light. So that when they walk away from that situation, these people, these, these random Gassidiites that they meet will say, wow, I feel better about my life now. I, I, I wonder what that was. May we be that kind of light bringer because of our fellowship with you and each other. I pray for a special blessing of protection over each and every one of these, that they would be able to notice and avoid Satan's snares and traps, and that uh, any testing uh, from Satan would be light and momentary because you are watching over each of us and empowering us by your spirit, uh, armored in the armor of God to uh, reject and put out Satan's fiery darts. And in that, Lord, may they sense your blessings of peace and joy. In your most precious name I pray, God. Amen.